Hello, my friends. Today we're talking to Hunter, the CTO at Permission.io. And we discuss how Permission is helping users get paid for the data that they give up to advertisers. How partnering with Auth0 has allowed Permission to provide a secure and frictionless experience for their users. And what it takes to create, distribute, and protect a new cryptocurrency. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. I first got involved technology in technology before there was the internet. Uh, I got started at a very early age. I was lucky enough to go to an elementary school that had a computer programming class in wow. fourth grade. Yeah, it was uh, the, the programming language was QBasic and became fascinated at that time uh, and have been involved in technology literally since the fourth grade. I you know, continued to follow it, uh, watch the internet be born. By the time I got to college, I was uh, teaching myself computer programming kind of on the side and picking up uh, web development gigs off of Craigslist to help pay my tuition. Nice, so nice. I've been, I've been in it since the, since the very beginning. That's cool. Did you ever have like a little address book of all the email addresses on the internet? <laughs> yes, I, <laughs> I, I absolutely had one of those address books and, um, you know, just to date myself. I also spent a lot of time on uh, AOL Instant Messenger. Nice. Um, way back in the day. That's how uh, a lot of my schoolmates and I communicated after school. That's super cool. So when you were starting your career, did you jump right into a career in tech or did you do something else first? How, how'd you get, get going? Yeah, so I, um, you know, I, I was at school at the University of Virginia. I started in the computer science program, but I, I learned something very quickly, which was that uh, the universities can be woefully behind uh, what's actually happening in, in tech. Uh, they were teaching, you know, C plus plus and like kind of old school enterprise software, whereas I wanted to learn web because that's what was you know hot in two thousand two thousand one. So. I left the uh, computer science department and... Uh, Wait, they weren't picked... teaching web in like 2000 and 2001? There was one Java class, like to do Java, you know, JSP, I think it was, or something like that. But it was like really limited, the web. The web. It, it was all kind of like you start with machine code and, it, you know, and work your way into C++. And, uh, and I just... It wasn't what I wanted to learn. So instead, I left that. I ended up with a double major in economics and philosophy, of all things. But the whole time, I was teaching myself, just literally checking out books from the library and teaching myself how to write code. Um, started a, a kind of my first company, I guess. Uh, while I was still in college, we were uh, taking photos at college parties and then posting them online uh, for people the next day to go look at the photos and like buy a t-shirt with the photo on it or something <laughs> like that. So pre-social so, networks. Y yeah. This is again, you know, early two thousands when that was still kind of a, a cool concept. So I had already kind of started my freelance programming, you know, career while I was still in school. Uh, when I graduated, all that really meant was I was going full time with that. And, I, and now I had, you know, all my all the hours of the day where I could just uh, write code. And I, I loved writing code. I still enjoy it, although I don't do it very often. And so that's that's kind of how I got started. I was I was a freelancer. I was a PHP developer and I did that for a few years and I loved it. But then I, I realized there was only so many hours in the day that one could bill for their time. And so I, I, at that point, I, I started a, a software agency called Barefoot Solutions. Oh, cool. So just continuing to do freelance work, but in a like company setting. Exactly. Much. I hired my first employee, um, kind of grew everything organically. We were doing web design and development. And then... We got into mobile very, very early. Then we got into IoT pretty early. And 
uh, and then into AI and, and blockchain. That was kind of the progression of technology. We always tried to stay, you know, at the forefront, um, not on not on the bleeding edge because uh, companies uh, don't don't pay for that very often. But you know, more on the cutting edge, we'll call it. And th- and that was uh, the the majority of my career uh, prior to joining the permission team. Cool. Yeah. So tell me about how you met the team at Permission and, and came aboard. Yeah. I, you know, my best friend from kindergarten uh, is the VP of marketing That's at awesome. Permission. And um, they were having internal discussions and, you know, wanted to uh, bring, bring somebody on and, and, Bobby uh, recommended me and introduced me to Charlie, our CEO, and and uh, you know we ran with it from there. And so you know that was back in I want to say 2019 uh, when we first connected, and and uh, you know been with Permission ever since. That's awesome. So can you give me like an overview of the vision at Permission and what you guys are doing? Absolutely. So you know. The mission of permission is to enable users to profit from their time spent online and their mostly their data. Um, you know, for too long, the the big tech companies, Google and Facebook and Amazon, uh, have been profiting from our data, and we haven't seen a cut of it. And that needs to change. Uh, I think when certain events happened and, you know, Cambridge Analytica and things like that, a lot of the world opened their eyes to how the internet actually works. Uh, the internet seems like this amazing place full of free services, but companies are making a lot of money and they're making money on us. And now that that is understood um, by more than just uh, geeks like me, uh, you know, there's a widespread movement to change that and to empower uh, users to control their data, and and if and if it's if people are making money off of it, it's their data. They should be the ones making money. So that's the overall vision of what we're doing at at Permission. So so how does it work? Do the ad companies come to you, and you're you're like a mid, kind of a broker for the individuals that are viewing the ads and getting paid for that? And then also like how are people getting paid? Just I have a lot of questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's a new concept. It's a bunch of new concepts, and so it can be a bit to uh, bite off in, in in one sentence. But you know, r- really, so we believe that users should be compensated for sharing their data. The best way that we know to do that is with cryptocurrency, and so we have issued our own cryptocurrency. The ticker symbol is ASK. And you know you can buy and sell this crypto on, on multiple exchanges. And we reward users for uh, you know clicking on ads or watching videos or you know providing data, explicitly giving permission to brands to market to them and being rewarded for it, being compensated for it and saying, okay, you know, Nike, I am actually looking for tennis shoes right now. And I want you to know that. And I want you to show me some tennis shoes, but I want, I, I want to be rewarded for, for, you know, giving you that data so that, you know, we can have a closer relationship between the brand and the, and the consumer. Right. And so the advertisers will, yeah, I mean, they'll create campaigns and they are campaigns that can be placed all over the web, right? It doesn't just have to be on our website. And part of the mechanism of these ads is the reward component, is, is rewarding users with our crypto ASK for sharing their data. Um, and you know, and it's, it's that simple at the high level. And then when you get into the weeds, it's actually incredibly complex because ad tech is a very complex world that's been around a long time and has some you know, unusual ways of doing things. Um, but that's the concept at the high level. We're just we're just rewarding users for sharing their data, and we're doing it with crypto. You know, I mean, think of it like uh, a rewards program. You know, you have like Starbucks coins or Marriott or Southwest or all of these rewards programs that are incredibly successful for these companies, and they continue to invest more in their rewards programs than they do in going out to get new customers. They're trying to deepen their relationships with their existing customers, right? Right. 
And the problem with rewards programs is that they are siloed, right? You know, if I get Southwest points, it's awesome that I can buy a Southwest flight with it. But that's about all I can do. With crypto, it's, it's fungible, you know, it's liquid. You can do whatever you want with it. You can trade it for other crypto. You can sell it for dollars and go buy something. You, you know, it's, it's kind of the, it, it levels kind of the field such that it's just a ubiquitous reward mechanism. It's so obvious that crypto should be how brands are rewarding their customers rather than these like really siloed yeah um, you know point systems right and so that you know that's kind of how we landed on the concept is we really were thinking about rewards initially and and how how it could be better for the consumer uh to get some sort of liquid reward rather than a siloed one that makes a lot of sense that actually reminds me of uh recently i was talking with the cto over at a company called deserve that they make the back end for credit cards so like if a company like, you know, airlines all issue their own credit cards. Traditionally, they have to go to a bank to do that. But Deserve is like a cloud-based company doing that. And they partnered with BlockFi recently and put out a credit card with them where whatever cash back reward you get on your credit card is paid in Bitcoin, which is pretty cool. And I think kind of just shows that the what you're talking about is a major trend i think that we're going to see a lot more of yeah you know and there's there's just a few reasons why that's why that's better even than cashback because you know the way that these very old financial systems work it, it, there's there is so much uh so many middlemen basically to conduct a transaction safely right it has to be backed by a bank and it has to be insured and, and all of these other things. And what it does is makes uh, transactions expensive. Yeah. Um, and so when you're doing small transactions, right, you just want to kick somebody a couple bucks back for a purchase they made. It's kind of, it's difficult and expensive to do that in, in, in just USD with a traditional financial system. But when you start looking at Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies where the cost of transaction is very low, you're not limited to just like your country or there's not a lot of uh, complications around doing it kind of internationally. And then there's also like the speculative nature of it, right? You know, if, if anything, you, the value of a dollar is going down over time, right? Whereas with cryptocurrency, you, you don't know, but, but there is kind of that exciting, you know, you start to build up reserves in, in crypto in the hopes that maybe, you know, maybe uh, Bitcoin's price will go up and the rewards that you got will be double what they were when you got them, you know? And yeah. so that's, that's another of the alluring parts of using crypto instead of just cash uh, for rewards for transactions or whatever it might be for. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, a couple, a couple years ago, Coinbase started rolling out um, where you could do like a little education thing on um to like learn about a different currency and they give you five bucks in the currency and so i did like all of them that they would let me do because i've been like a crypto fan for a while ended up with 30 bucks total and i just kind of ignored it for two years and then i looked at it and it was like 200 dollars. i'm like hey that's a pretty good payment for learning about some different currencies. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly the program you're, you're talking about. <laughs> and, and it sure is, you know, and, and that's the idea. And, you know, it's, it's also a way to learn about new projects. And, you know, you, you might, okay, well, I have this token now. I mean, what are they about, right? And it, it's good for the ecosystem, for the crypto ecosystem too, right? To get the word out, get people you know, holding these tokens so that, you know, they, they begin to care and learn about the project and sometimes, you know, support it in major ways. Yeah. So, I mean, crypto is obviously a really hot commodity in uh, like among general consumers, but I imagine it's also a pretty big target for hackers trying to get their hands on some. So what's, what's your security strategy like at Permission? Yes, you're, you are absolutely right about that. <laughs> Um, security is first with absolutely everything that we do. It is, uh, when, when you're a cryptocurrency, you are a target and you're a target by some of the brightest minds of our generation, right? The, these, 
you know, uh, people in, in the blockchain and crypto space are, are some of the best developers in the world. Um, and so, you know, you have to be incredibly mindful and serious about security when you're running, uh, you know, a company with, with a crypto like, like, like permission is. And so, you know, we talk about security every day. It, it is embedded into our culture, into our processes, into everything. And, you know, it all starts for us really with um, identity. You know, if we know who our users are, then they, it brings about a level of trust. And we feel good about rewarding them for, um, for engaging with these ads because they're real people and, you know, they're sharing their data and that's valuable to companies and, and they should get paid for it, you know? And so we, uh, very early on, actually, when I came on board, this was one of the first ma- like really big decisions I made a CTO at Permission, which was to, you know, start working with an identity provider, Auth0. Uh, they do all of our identity for us, like, you know, login registration, I forgot my password, my two-factor authentication and mobile and all of these things. And, you know, and, and they have been like a, a, you know, foundational part of our overall security apparatus. You know, w- we decided early on that, like, we're innovating in ad tech and in crypto, but not in identity, right? And if you're not innovating in something, then you might as well use the experts rather than like try to build it yourself, right? I could have built an identity management platform for our users, you know, and it's taken six to nine months and it would cost a fortune and we had to maintain it the whole time. Or I could go with a you know provider like on zero and and we we were up in like forty five days or something like that just crazy fast and you know they're rolling out new features and you know they they become a really fundamental part of our overall security apparatus uh, and and you know we're in an interesting position right where not there aren't many consumer facing crypto companies they they're, they're coming out now but for the past few years that we've been few and far between and. The reason is how hard it is to keep it secure when you're consumer facing. That makes sense. It's it's one thing to do a B2B thing or to do a layer one blockchain, you know, which is all about the code. But when you're dealing with, you know, millions of users, you know, and you have to provide a delightful experience for them, right? Like user security is number one, user experience is number two. And so, you know, those can sometimes be like, fundamentally opposed with each other. Like the more secure it is, kind of the more friction you create for your user. And, you know, as a consumer facing company, we need to figure out both of those things. And, you know, and again, I go back to Auth0, you know, they're one of the only identity management platforms that had such a strong focus on consumer identity, not just, you know, B2B or like enterprise workforce or that kind of thing. And so that's what really drew us in there. Um, Additionally, we have just, crazy smart data scientists that are constantly identifying anomalies and looking for patterns and and you know we have really advanced bot detection and mitigation measures and you know we uh we introduced kyc which you know is not popular but you know we're we're of the standpoint that like that's where the industry is heading so we might as well get ahead of it and you know it was able to integrate it really well with on zero. And, and, you know, now we have like pretty definitive proof that somebody is who they say they are. And what we found out is that that makes them so much more valuable to advertisers than your typical like publisher might be. That makes a lot of sense. You're, you're able to like filter out the bots like that. Yeah. I mean, it's a dirty little secret in ad tech, but (laughs) I mean, half the traffic is from bots. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it, it may be worse. You know, and so when we can tell our advertising partners, hey, they're actually uploading their passport and we're verifying it and, and you know, all this other stuff, then that brings, you know, the, the quality that we're able to bring because we do all of those things is just so much higher than kind of anonymous web traffic. And so while, you know, there was some resistance at first because it is friction, you know, and people don't like it. Uh, ultimately, it's been a, it's been a great thing for us. It's been one you know one of the best thing things we decided to do because it, it just it just ups the quality of our traffic. 
So what is what does it look like from the user side? Is it like a web extension that you sign into and have running in the background and that's how you're recognized when you're providing data or viewing ads or something? Like yeah, that, so that's a big part of it. Uh, so we launched a, um, a, a Chrome uh, browser extension um, that will serve as your wallet where you can manage your crypto. And with that, with that installed, uh, you know, it, when you come across a rewarded ad, it creates a very seamless experience. If you choose to engage with the ad, if you choose to you know, share your data, then you will be rewarded via that browser extension. We also... You know, have a mobile app coming up in the works, and that that'll come out in Q4, and then and serve a similar purpose, but you know, in the in the mobile app space. But you know, really, we we don't want to tie anybody down to a specific product. So even if you don't have anything uh, installed, uh, there is still a, a you know a workflow that could could lead to you, uh, er, you know, earning your rewards for engaging with those ads, even if you aren't yet a permission user. Uh, you know, some of that is live now and some of it's rolling out in, in Q4. But again, user experience is everything for us. Uh, and and the big challenge is creating really engaging, relevant and delightful experiences for our users. And, you know, they, if, if we can't do that, then, then all the other stuff that we're doing is, isn't going to work. And so that's why we put such a high priority on, on UX uh, when we're doing anything. That makes sense. I think that's a really smart approach because, I mean, cryptocurrency in general, the people that have studied it and looked at it have known like, hey, blockchain tech is going to do huge things in the future. But the thing was 10 years ago, if you wanted to own any, it was a crazy convoluted process to have a secure wallet and you, you only really could buy and sell cryptocurrency if you really knew what you were doing. and um, yeah, just the way it's gotten out to the masses has been that friction has been reduced. And speaking of Auth0, like, uh, I had the privilege of interviewing their chief product officer a couple of weeks ago, uh, Shiv. And the big thing he was talking about was like reducing friction while keeping security at the forefront uh, is really the only way we're going to get security out to everyone. Um, yeah, that's exactly right. I listened. I actually listened to that, and and it was it was spot on. And you know, if we if we we need mass adoption of advanced security measures, and the only way you get mass adoption of anything is if you make it really easy for people. Um, and and so we have all these like really advanced security measures that nobody wants to do, and that's not that's not going to work. So so. Now the challenge is how do we make it just super easy or even transparent, you know, like to the user or only escalate things when red flags go off and otherwise make it simpler for folks. And, you know, looking at ways to kind of provide security without being super interruptive to someone's experience. Right. And, and, you know, that's, that's kind of where the technology is now. It's matured enough that we know how to do things securely. Right. MFA has been around for a long time, but, how do we make it so it's not such a pain, you know? And, and we've seen in the, just in the, you know, in the past few years, even so real strong adoption, like for 2FA and people are starting to look at password list stuff. And, you know, I, I think that we're going to see a lot more innovation um, in that space in the coming years. I mean, you know, like you said, crypto 10 years ago was a nightmare. If you, <laughs> if you were not a developer, good luck, you know, buying and, and securely storing your, your crypto, right? But, you know, these days, um, it's as simple as signing up for a web account. Come to permission.io and you provide your username and password and there you go. You get a crypto wallet and you get some ASK in it and you're off to the races. You know, it's like, it's literally that easy. And so we're, we're watching, we're crossing the chasm right now. We're, we're in the middle of it, if not towards the tail end of it where crypto is just adopted by the masses and, you know, it's like, get, get on board. And, and we're seeing this across, you know, all these major financial institutions, and these big corporations, everybody's hiring blockchain and crypto people and rolling out programs and putting Bitcoin on their balance sheets and, and all of that. I mean, it's, the, it, it's, it's here, you know, this, this is the time where it becomes, you know, where, where my mom might be able to get some crypto. <laughs> Yeah. 
I was watching a, a news piece recently on ransomware and uh, a point they made was how ransomware attackers have incredible customer service because when they go after like elderly people, doesn't matter who their target is, they need to get paid in like Bitcoin for, you know, obvious reasons. And so it was funny, they were complimenting the customer service of these ransomware attackers because they're able to teach your grandma how to buy Bitcoin because that's like a yeah. part of the process. I know that's yeah. a little bit off topic, but, um, well, I, I mean, I guess the word is out that, you know, providing an excellent customer experience gets <laughs> you the results that you want. And even for, you know, bad actors, yeah. right. That like they, they're, they're, you know, they're seeing how, how the internet works these days. And if you can provide an excellent experience, then, you know, people will do it. That makes a lot of sense. So one thing I'm, I'm curious about is why issue your own currency rather than use an existing one for, for the purpose of paying your users for their data? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a really good question. And it's something that was debated extensively. And, you know, there, there, there's a few reasons for it. And, you know, one is... Uh, to be able to control the experience a little more closely, right? We can build all these tools around our crypto uh, specifically that would be more difficult to do if it was, some, you know, if it was Bitcoin, if it was something else, you know, and, and the other is, uh, you know, the, the financial model, you, you know, uh, if, if, if you have to go out and spend us dollars to buy BTC to then reward users with that, and it's really not all that different than just giving them USD for what they're doing, right? And so, but when you can build a community around a new cryptocurrency, then it, it makes the, the model just makes a lot more sense that way. Yeah, that makes sense because at the end of the day, you're trying to avoid the, what's the word, inefficiencies of the financial system. Uh, and if you're using an existing currency that, means that you have to start with us dollars anyway exactly exactly and and so then then yeah then half your business model is still stuck in that in that financial system right and you're it's slow and it's expensive and you know when you can issue your own currency uh, all that goes away and you know we didn't just issue a token on ethereum i mean we we, we run our own blockchain and we run our currency on that blockchain. And again, that enables us to provide very, very fast transactions, very, very low transaction costs, right? Whereas gas fees on Ethereum right now are out of, are out of control. And you know, there's a lot of cool projects that are working to fix that, and the Ethereum Foundation themselves are working to fix that. And so I think that's going to change. But you know, at the time, that, you know, it, 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 that was a good decision to make so that we could, again, make the experience great for the user, right? Nobody wants to be spending, you know, twenty dollars in gas fees to uh, to you know execute Ethereum transactions. So yeah, um, it was. It all comes back to the user for us. So I might not get it if we get too into the weeds. So explain to me, like I'm five, what goes into forking Ethereum to make your own currency? Because that that just sounds really crazy and interesting to me. Yeah. Um, and if we got into the weeds, it, it gets really complex. <laughs> I imagine. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but okay, like you were five, we take a copy of Ethereum. We need to change the consensus mechanism because Ethereum only works with thousands and thousands of people running nodes and, and processing transactions, right? Right. So, so you want to copy like the, the protocols of Ethereum, but not necessarily all of the nodes. That exactly. Not necessarily the proof of work. So okay. instead we go to a proof of authority consensus mechanism. And that allows us to run our own blockchain based on Ethereum. I mean, it, it's, it's Ethereum, it's Ethereum protocols, mm -hmm. right? But it allows us to, to run it on our own kind of network. Okay. 
That's really interesting. So is everyone that is making money with permission a member of the network, like helping run consensus? Uh, no, no. Uh, you know, they can be, but, but just, just your general users are, are, are earning ASK every day um, for engaging with, with, ad, with ads and sharing their data. So it's not, just, it's not just for developers. It's not just for people running nodes. It's not really even about that for us, right? Like that, there's a lot of people out there that that's what they're doing. And, and that's not what we're doing. We want to be the most widely used cryptocurrency in ad tech. That's our goal. And so, you know, we're encouraging just your everyday inter- internet users to come create an account and earn, earn ASK that way. That's awesome. I like that goal. Shooting, shooting big. What well, most widely used crypto and ad tech. So That's right. I guess that brings me to my tough question of the interview. Because uh, when I first started reading about you guys, uh, I had actually heard about basic attention token first. So I was like, oh, this kind of sounds like basic attention to- token. So how are you different from basic attention token? Yeah, no, that's a it's a it's a great question, and I'll start by saying uh, I'm a huge fan of Brave and BAT, uh, and I use Brave browser sometimes, and they were leaders. They are leaders in the space, uh, and they're doing uh, really great work. There are there are some fundamental differences between what they're doing and what we're doing. Brave is focused on privacy. They want to provide a private browsing experience for their users. Our focus is on compensation. We want, you know, you know, Brave doesn't want the data to leave the browser, right? They're going to keep it locked down for you. Okay. Uh, but that means they don't have data, meaning it's tough to serve relevant ads. It, it you know, it, it, it doesn't work in the existing... <laughs> advertising ecosystem, right? And right? So that's not what we're focused on. It's not about privacy. We're trying to encourage users to share their data with companies. And we're very, very transparent about that. And if you're not into that and you know you want to just browse the web privately, then then we're not that's that's not us, you know, and, and and Brave is a great solution for that. But you know, if you want to continue to participate in the data economy of the internet as it is today, only get compensated for it then come to permission that that's the fundamental difference between the two of us you know it's a different mission right it's the same space but it's a a drastically different mission i think it speaks to different types of people who have you know are interested in different things that makes a lot of sense so permission is more for if you just want to kind of keep doing the web as you're doing it now but you know get paid for it as as you should because it's your data while brave is for the people that are like it's my data and i don't want anyone to see it and that's those are both valid viewpoints yeah that's exactly right you know our our, what we want to the experience we want to provide is yeah just go about your day on the internet and check your balance at the end of the day and see that you earn for doing the stuff that you already do you know because that's fair that's how it should be and it wasn't set up that way originally, so it's disruptive to, to do it that way now. But you know that's that's where we're headed, uh, and that's our mission. That's really cool. So, man, I gotta set up a, a permission account because I'm pretty stuck in my ways. And <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Okay, so one thing that I, I wanted to get your take on is NFTs because. We actually have uh, a company called Masterworks coming up on the podcast soon, and um, they're a part of a wave in in like the financial industry that I think is really cool, and that's opening up different areas of investment to the broader public. Because like a while ago, we had a company called Yield Street that is is like more generalized, opening up like you could do partial real estate investments or partial art investments and stuff. But Masterworks is art only. And because a lot of extremely wealthy people's portfolios are a large portion of it is art in their investments, which is something that I didn't even know about until recently as like an investment class. But anyway, the guy uh, does not believe in NFTs. Uh, as um, like sound investable assets. And since they kind of rose to fame in the past year, 
I've pretty much only heard positive things about them. So I was like really interested to hear this hot take that we have coming up. But as uh, someone as your, such as yourself, a like longtime member of the crypto community, what do you think about NFTs and what role do you see them playing? It's a great question. And NFTs are young in terms of their adoption in the overall crypto ecosystem, right? They're hot. Yeah. Like right now. And so what I see out there is a lot of experimentation with NFTs. And, you know, I think the market will, you know, find some winners and losers in terms of the best use cases for NFTs. Like they don't, they don't solve everything, not even close, but I think they have some really strong use cases. And, you know, one of the things that, one of, the, one of the things I like the most about NFTs is that, you know, coming up the way that, that I did in, in software and building uh, products is I, I got the opportunity to spend a lot of time with digital artists, right? Graphic designers, uh, animators, um, just these wildly talented people that like 100 years ago would, would probably be painters or, or, or the like. Um, and... They have no, they had no good way to actually get paid for like original digital art. Yeah. You know, you're like uploading photos into, you know, Shutterstock and services like that, or you're getting paid for kind of custom bespoke work. Sure. But that's not pure creativity. That's, that's um, applied creativity to somebody else's concept, right? But the, to be able to create digital art purely from your own creative energy and find a way to sell that in, in a way that is actually meaningful to you financially is incredible. It's disruptive to, for digital artists. You know, it's, it's, that is one of the most exciting use cases to me of NFTs. NFTs is, is again, like you said, in, in art, but, but not the, I mean, the fine art stuff is interesting. And I did read that like 20% of billionaire portfolios are in, are in fine art or something insane. Yeah. I, I had no idea either. I just read that <laughs> recently. We must've read the same thing, but yeah, but you know, in, in, in digital art, you know, I mean, because Digital art has a problem that fine art doesn't have, which is that it is very easy to copy digital art. Uh, and it's a lot more difficult to counterfeit, um, and, uh, you know, kind of physical art. And so this kind of, I mean, in a way combats counterfeit, you, you know, art and, and, and also enables these artists to, to actually get paid for their work in a way that wasn't possible before NFTs existed. So to me, you know, there are a lot of use cases, like you said, financial instruments are interesting, you know, they're doing stuff like an insurance and, you know, tokenization of assets and all sorts of stuff. And, but the one that I really am like most interested in at the moment is, is, is digital art and watching kind of like these, uh, artists finally, you know, I guess it kind of goes back to the mission of permission, which is like, it bugs me when people aren't getting what they deserve based on they're you know what they're providing yeah right? and, and and underserved people you know were this decentralization of technology is allowing a lot of these kind of undercompensated underserved people to to get what's you know get their cut get what's theirs and so to me that's like one of the most exciting parts of nfts sorry that was a pretty long answer but no dude that was awesome yeah, yeah that's i mean it's always really cool when a new technology comes out that's able to actually empower people rather than just be used by the people that are already in charge, you know? Um, and that that's kind of the whole theme of, of decentralized tech in general, uh, which is why I've been a fan for years. Yep. But so do you have do, any thoughts on other kind of wild out there potential future use cases for blockchain tech in general? Whew. You know, that's a, that's a good and a tough question. You know, I am, I'm a fairly practical technologist, 
And I think I'm realistic that blockchain doesn't solve, you know, all the world's problems. Yeah. It, it, it is a tool. It is an incredibly powerful tool. And it's created this amazing community and ecosystem around it. But at the end of the day, it is, it is, it is a tool. And so, you know, when I think about where we might have interesting use cases, um, you know, it's, it's just all over. It, it, it's not necessarily like um, completely brand new things. It's, it's just improving the things that we already do. Cryptocurrency is not completely new. It's an improvement over fiat currency. Right. NFTs are not completely new, but it's an improvement over like physical goods and things of that nature. And so, you know, I, I, think, I think blockchain is going to do amazing things in identity. I think, you know, there is a world here where all of us manage all of our identities, our medical records, our finances, all of, the, you know, all of that in some sort of decentralized identity platform, you know, where, where I can take it with me wherever I go. I can choose what I share to whomever I'd like, but ultimately I have control and it's, and it's validated by the blockchain consensus mechanism itself. And so I see a world where, where identity becomes de fully decentralized, in, in fact, and, and that we can travel to different countries and do all of these things and still have complete ownership of our, of our information and our, and our digital identities. So I see very, very big things in that space. And then I see, I see a lot of smaller opportunities as well. I mean, I think you know, I mentioned counterfeiting earlier. I think blockchain's got some amazing applications in preventing counterfeit. Oh, and, yeah. And pro proving chain of custody. Uh, I think we're going to see, uh, you know, again, again, chain of custody in the legal field, but not for another 15 or 20 years. It's got to be very mainstream before we see that. Um, so I do, I do see just all sorts of interesting applications of it. Uh, as it becomes more ubiquitous, everybody gets smarter, the tech gets better, and, you know, we're getting, like I said, we got some of the greatest minds in the world working in the blockchain space right now. So like, I'm just could not be more excited to see what comes. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, another area of, of future tech that uh, we've had on the podcast, actually a decent amount, quantum computing. Um, <laughs> big, uh, a big concern that's brought up a lot is quantum computers are going to be capable of decrypting cryptocurrencies. Uh, and so while we actually had on the CTO of Ripple, uh, the currency, and he was like, nah, that's not a problem for another 10 years. Um, but then I forget, we, we got the opposite opinion from someone else that I trusted on it too. So mm -hmm. it, it's kind of all over the place in terms of what I see people saying about it. And I'm, I'm curious, what's your take? Yeah, well, you know, I will start by saying that doesn't keep me up at night at the moment. Um, I do believe that's feasible. You know, I've read some papers that does make it look like it might be possible, but, you know, let's keep in mind that, uh, there's two sides to that coin. You know, when quantum, quantum computing becomes more available, it's going to be integrated into all of our cryptographic measures as well. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, it's an arms race when it comes to, you know, the cryptographic world, but the, the digital security in general, it's always an arms race. And that's kind of actually okay because it, it, it like forces innovation, right? It drives innovation at such a rapid, rapid pace because it's like, if we don't fix this soon, it's going to be a problem for us. And so, you know, for me, like I said, that doesn't keep me up at night. It'll be interesting to watch. But all the tech that that might go into decrypting it can also make the you know cryptography more powerful. Right. Yeah, I think that's a really cool perspective on it. Uh, how it just forces innovation because, man, that's just so fun. While you're rapidly advancing your computing powers, you're also rapidly advancing your security measures. Um, and I know that there's already quantum resistant algorithms, but the Right now, they're just kind of slow, so we don't use them because we don't have to. But I can totally see how when we do have to, we'll probably see them speed up pretty fast. 
um, just because they'll have to, they'll be forced to. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It, it does drive innovation. You know, I mean, it's a threat, right? And protecting yourselves from threats can often lead to amazing discoveries and inventions and wild new things. So before we wrap up, uh, I just want to ask you a couple leadership questions because you're CTO at this company, uh, leading quite a few people. For some context, how many people are at permission right now? Oh, gosh. Um, it changes a lot. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, I think there's about uh, 20-odd people right now. And they're kind of distributed globally, but although we have our, our headquarters uh, in, in San Diego, in, in La Jolla, California. That's really cool. So what? So, are your direct reports um, like engineering managers or people still in the weeds themselves? Yeah. So, so typically my direct reports are engineering managers. Um, we are so small enough of an operation that I, I, you know, I talk every day to the engineers directly, mm -hmm. although they are not, you know, technically my, uh, direct reports, but yeah, I mean, we, you know, we have a, um, a very powerful, uh, distributed engineering team that's built a lot of product over the last couple of years. So what would you say are the one to two most important culture items to you at your company? So one of the things that I really value at the company is, is and it may sound a little weird at first, but is, uh, is, is pride. You know, being proud of the work that you do uh, and, and making everyone feel that way uh, about the work that they're doing I think it's just paramount. I think it's incredibly important. And the reason is that, and it's not for the pride itself, it's not egotistical. It is that so many good things happen when you're proud of what you're doing. It means you're telling the truth because you're not going to be proud of not telling the truth. It means you're doing great, high quality work because you're not going to be proud of producing crap. You know, it, it means that you're, you're doing the best that you can and the team is running as best as it can because you wouldn't be all that proud of anything less than that. And so I, I try to instill that sense of pride into my team and, 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 you know, that we've, we've built a culture around that, that we want to be really proud of the work that we're doing, our mission, our products, our code, you know, down to the, the every day, you know, you know, everything matters is, is another thing that, that I believe, which is that like, the small things are very, very important. You know, everything matters. Uh, I learned that from my eighth grade soccer coach of all places, and it stayed with me this entire time. You know, the, it was like tying your shoelaces nice and tight. It's important. You know, running out the ball, even though you know it's going to go out of bounds, just keep running all the way until the ref blows the whistle. You know, and, and that kind of thinking, you know, when applied to engineering, it, it's actually very easy to apply it to engineering, right? Like the, the details are so important. The quality is so important. You know, uh, the, those are, those are two kind of big things in our culture. Be proud of what you're doing and, and, and everything matters. That reminds me of that one really famous Navy SEAL speech about making your bed in the morning. Did you ever come across that? I think I have actually. I yeah. think I have. Yeah. Something, something like, if you can't make your bed in the morning, how do you expect to do anything else? Like, <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but, exactly. I mean, it sounds like those two things are a really good recipe for having great employee engagement and having them really care about what they're doing. That's just been top of mind for me because I had to do some market research a little while ago and um, I think it was a Gartner report on employee engagement that I was talking about how companies with higher employee engagement are just significantly more successful on a variety of metrics. So if you find whatever you can to increase employee engagement, and that's a real recipe for success. So I, I think those two things of pride in your work and everything matters are, are really good ingredients for that. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing that I try to do uh, I can't wait for my team to listen to this and chuckle. And, but, you know, another way 
it, because you're right. It, the engagement of the team is everything. Uh, you know, you can't get anything accomplished without a really engaged team. And, and uh, the way that I choose to do that is empower them and get out of their way, right? Make sure they have the authority and the tools and the access they need to do great things and support them and then get out of their way and let them do awesome things. Right. And, and so, you know, that's all that, that's, you know, I try to make that a part of the culture as well, because like you said, that when they have, when they have some ownership over what we're doing, right. It, it makes them engaged. It makes us all engaged. We want to feel like we're a part of something bigger than, than just ourselves. And like, we want to be proud of what we're building and we want to have some ownership on that. And so, you know, that's another really, you know, really important piece. Yeah. And, I can quickly advocate for that on the other side of of the like the employee side because that's something that has come up on the podcast for years uh, prior to me ever even being at the company here and the founder of the company Joel is like taking that to heart and he has given me a lot of freedom to and authority to kind of take this where I want to go and I've learned and grown a lot from that um like as an employee and now starting to lead um and i think yeah that, you can just treat me as a uh, case study there it would <laughs> it works <laughs> but all right so before we wrap up is there anything else that we want to get out there that we didn't get to touch on today the big mission for us is is actually crystal clear users should be compensated for their data you know the how is is more complicated and and that's what we've built and that's what we're continuing to build and execute on but the writing on the wall is very clear that this is the direction that we're heading in you know you only have to look at like the you know iOS updates recently that people, you know, you have to explicitly ask permission to use their data. Like, you know, it's all, it's all coming. It's all converging right now. And, you know, and so it's just a really exciting time uh, to be, you know, not, not just like a, a leader at a tech company, but also a consumer. It's a really great time to be a, a consumer of, of, of digital technology because, you know, we're taking some of it back. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.